We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10 second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It is our season two Ted Lasso rewatch finale episode. We have somehow made it 12 episodes already with this, frankly, fucking perfect show. Joining me, as always, it is my co-host from For the Win, where you can find all the content. It is Alex McDaniel. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Swimming in content. Doing great. All the content. You know who else has a lot of content? Our good friend Caroline Darney over Bet for the Win, who is returning to Big Screen Sports tonight. Caroline, how are you? I'm doing great. And yeah, so much content over at Bet for the Win. So if you don't get your fill at For the Win, you can slide on over to Bet for the Win. Get a little (laughs) dessert, a little pretzel, if you will. Um, I don't know why I went pretzel for dessert, but honestly, I was in Germany for two weeks, so it kind of was all... And was I, I, was a at a, I was at brag. an airport last night, so I saw an Auntie Anne. So same, same, <laughs> same, thing, really. same. Yeah, that's about yeah. Pretzels and in, for any and meal. And the theme of returning friends, returning guests. We had to get a guy who knows a little something about tapping a sign for inspiration. It is our friend Mike Golick Jr. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Shout out to all my friends in Oklahoma that are for some reason pissed off with renewed energy about said sign. And shout out to Bradley International in Connecticut that is getting an Annie Ann's pretzel very soon, and I am jazzed about it. I mean, an Annie Ann's is a fine meal in any circumstance, but especially during a layover. This is now an Annie Ann's podcast. Annie Ann's, drop, <laughs> welcome. Yeah, drop, drop. They put a hot dog inside of a twisty pretzel. <laughs> Mike's gonna buy plane tickets like real cheap. Just no, like not go anywhere. Just go to the airport in Connecticut, get some Annie Ann's. <laughs> I'm back for lunch, fam. What's up? <laughs> get a job just to get through security and back. <laughs> the official next sponsor of AFC Richmond, Annie Ants. Mike, where can the listeners check you out on TV this weekend? Uh, I am going to be Friday night on ESPN 1 
for Clemson going on the road to Syracuse to take on the Orange in the Dome. So looking forward to that one, me and Nishroff and Taylor McDaniel. Going to be a good time. You know who's probably not looking forward to that one? Clemson fans. Can't imagine, no. <laughs> can't imagine that they're super excited about that. Why? Nothing's ever gone really, really horribly wrong against Syracuse for Clemson ever. <laughs> There's something special about seeing fan bases that really aren't used to, like that have had this stretch of success that hit this stretch where it's like still what most teams would probably be okay with having as their season. And then them just, I went on deployment with a guy who went to Oklahoma and I remember it was like game three or something and they lost to like a, back end of the top 25 team. And he's like, well, that's the season. They're not going to make the like, championship game. I'm not going to watch anymore. And I was sitting there like FaceTime or like, you know, Skyping my parents to turn the TV to watch Duke, Virginia. And I was like, what do you mean? You're, you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to watch anymore. Like, Cause they lost a game. Like, What are we doing here? It's yeah. like in the U thirty for thirty when the players talk about like they gave away like bowl rings and stuff like anything that wasn't a national championship was yeah. just like fuck it and you're just like come on man <laughs> come on I, I, it's all we want is a bowl <laughs> game guys <laughs> break me off a piece of that orange bowl please sir all right well something else to shout out uh, the Patreon of this podcast shout out to our newest patron Chris Mykoski a great sports broadcaster he's a producer level patron along with Aaron Figueroa, Mike Schubert, Steve Rogers, Kevin Frost, Mike D, Ryan Yeager, Mike Drees, and James Kowaluski. Go to patreon.com slash bigscreensports. You can support the show. Vote on movies that this podcast is going to cover. we got the the poll for the November movie up right now. A couple bangers in that one. Go to patreon.com slash bigscreensports and pick us out a winner. But for tonight, we are talking about Ted Lasso, Season 2, Episode 12, Inverting the Pyramid of Success, Richmond gets their final chance to win promotion as Ted deals with the fallout of Trent Krim's painfully honest expose. I mean, folks, this was an okay episode. We can probably wrap this in like a tight 20, right? <laughs> it was fine. That's my summary. It was fine. Had its moments. Yeah. Take it Car- away. Caroline, I'll, I'll kick it to you first. Oh, when gosh. when you, yeah, you got to go. You got to go first. You were last on the Zoom. Uh, so How it goes. By, by default. Okay. By default, it's not like you were furthering your education or helping save your dog. So no, no. Last in, first out. I learned that in business school. Lifeo method of, um, yeah, you know. Exactly. So, uh, you wrap this one, and when we wrap this one, the last thing you see is a fully gray Nate. Your reaction when you when you let this episode wash over you. What was that instant first reaction? How can I punch him in the face? um might be I, I oh gosh there's so much emotion um and i know like we'll get to like the funny parts i think that this was a funny episode it wasn't one of the ha 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 like but it had a constant level of just the feels and it was <laughs> i guess it's every ted lasso episode so i always have a podcast to talk about all these things but it was the highs and lows of this might have been the most actual soccer that has been shown in an episode or close to it. It felt like that. And I loved the amount that we got. It was perfect and it was necessary. And, but closing on Nate and the gray, I mean, they look like they were ready to train the bad guys in a mighty ducks movie. You know, like I, I got those types <laughs> of vibes. Like this is the team that in the big green, like shows up with all their uniforms and sink and, you know, AFC Richmond will show up missing some pieces of equipment that they need or whatever it is, but seeing 
that I don't know if I noticed throughout the course of the second season that Nate was getting grayer. And then at that moment, you're like, oh, he's super gray. Was that like a thing that was happening? Um, And it just was a great visual representation of a simmering but noticeable transition that coursed through the entire vein of the season that just was, I thought it was, I mean, everything they do is perfect and has a point and comes into play and was a really nice bookend because they really kind of open season one or uh, season two with that same type of like close up on Nate's face um, that again, the bookends and the symmetry and the, um, I just loved it. And also catch these hands, like catch these (laughs) hands. It was a full Darth Vader moment, really. Yeah. Mike, when you wrap this one, when you think about like what your, your hopes, your expectations, your dreams for the, the season two finale, where did this land for you? Uh, I thought it was great in a lot of ways. Number one, talking about that end credit scene, no one has ever gone wrong using run the jewels to either bring in or take out a season right there. Yankee and the brave to finish it off. Just, they have a good way of like punctuating notes, but uh, no, this is everything I've come to expect with this show, which is making me laugh hysterically by myself through the fresh tears on my face. Like that was the entire cadence of this episode. Like it yo-yos between emotions in a way that, only a show that invested this much time on the front end of this season, a season that was much maligned by a lot of people who watched, I think just dealt with watching in a different way this time around than a lot of us did for season one. Like it ultimately got us into a place where they could really just tug at our emotions in a way that is only possible with that kind of groundwork. So I I thought they nailed it. And I think we're set up for, what is going to be a very nice capstone on this in season three. Alex, as the official queen of Ted Lasso theories, someone who has proven right many a time, multiple times this season, especially Uh by this finale. um, Was it just satisfaction at at its highest when this wrapped? I mean, I don't know if it was satisfaction. I think it's weird for a few reasons. Well, you know, I was really upset about Trent Krem for obvious reasons, all the journalism <laughs> stuff that I bring up. And so like to see him acknowledge that he did the absolute thing you cannot do as a journalist. And so he had to walk away from it. I was happy with that. The Nate thing I thought was going to happen, but it happened in a way I did not expect. And you notice like the last shot of the show, which parallels the first shot of the season, except his eyes are like completely black the way that they shot it. Whereas in the first season, there's hope, you know, and like, he's not totally gone yet. And I just think the way they ended it was beautiful and disturbing, but that was kind of the whole point. The season was set up to make us uncomfortable because talking about mental health should make us uncomfortable. And this whole thing is about vulnerability and people reaching their highest potential. And I think this season did not hesitate in getting into that really quickly. So I know I'm breaking the rule and talking about the whole season. I'm sorry. No, we're we're well, <laughs> there. There are no rules. He's either uh, Nate is either he's either Darth Nate or Voldenate. I'll I'll take either or any suggestions. But um, it is you know I I, I actually I want to ask about I want to talk about Trent Crimp, something that was very late in my notes. But as as people in journalism and just talking about Nate, if Trent Crim, you know Trent Crim was fired by the Independent, I would assume that every reporter in that last press conference 
would find out why, would know why it would become a common thing of what went down with that article about Ted and how that happened and who the source was, why Trent left the independent does. Would you imagine that the greater journalism population covering AFC Richmond, covering premier league now covering West Ham know that Nate rolled on Ted in that way? What do Alex, I'm going to kick it right back to you. What do you think as, as you are the, the Trent Krim, the leader in the Trent Krim clubhouse right now? I just, well, I don't know if they would have thought it was Nate just because he's clearly, Trent is clearly painted as the one who's closest to the team. If there is a Richmond beat writer, like dedicated, it's Trent, right? So I don't know if they would have known that Nate was the one because a lot of those journalists are kind of, some of them are tabloids and we've talked about journalism standards being different in the UK. So I don't know, but I did think that was so chilling kind of at the press conference when he says Trent's name and he's not there and nobody really reacts to it. And so, I mean, I don't know, as a journalist, like I found some satisfaction in it, but I think the show intentionally painted Trent as somebody who just stands out above everybody else as somebody who's going to try to get the real story. And that's why he has the relationship he does with Ted. I, I just wanted to jump in because what you pointed out about that press conference, I see, I am not like an actual journalist. Like I always have to point that out to the people who want to like rip me on Twitter. I was like, I'm an entertainer folks. I didn't go to big J school. So I'm just here. To talk. I don't know the rules. That's like the cool part is I've gotten to like ask like, you know, the Spencer halls and then the core box of the world and like bounce this off you guys. But that part right there is the most athlete thing that I saw for this season, because that, feeling you just described is when a guy gets carted off and they blow the whistle for the next play. Like that's that feeling where you realize, Oh, that's right. This whole machine does not need me to survive. And you watch the whole thing continue to play out or everyone else watches the whole thing and has to just keep going after this person is gone for whatever reason. And it's always like, no matter the setting, a very haunting reminder, but just hearing you say that now, I didn't register that because again, like that's not my background, but that is the feeling you 100% describe. And they left the seat, which if, you know, if you're on a beat and you're in the same spot every time, like leaving the seat is kind of like, oh, this is Trent Krim, the independent seat. Like that's just, and I didn't realize until doing this like bigger rewatch that I did over the past few days, um, shout out to being able to on a plane and nowhere to go. Um, <laughs> but I didn't realize that Trent, I forgot that Trent was kind of digging for this story before Nate, right? Like he was at, he ran into him in the pub and was like, Hey, like a little food poisoning. Like, and he, and he was like, yeah, not from here, not from here. Like not May's restaurant. Yeah. (laughs) So he was like, he asked for the comment. So my biggest thing with, I agree with Alex, like from listening to the podcast last week, you talk about, okay, you can't out your source. And if you're outing your source, you don't have a second source, you know, all these basic big J things. Like if he's going to immediately out the source and get, and know that he's ending his writing career over this, why write this story? Like that was the big thing. That's the only thing that stuck for me. Cause I was like, he was digging into it, trying to figure out like that sort of stuff. Like I get like, but there wasn't enough this was more of a tabloid story than a Trent Krim story. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely got some, some Trent Krim speculation coming. Go ahead, Mike. Do you guys. So, and again, I apologize. I know we're like completely breaking order on this, but <laughs> we got your okay. rules, baby. We're, we're free and clear. <laughs> Flying To the point of why you do this, knowing you're going to leave. Do you guys all believe like I'm getting way ahead to season three predictions 
he writes the book. That, yeah, that's kind of what I literally thought too. that's yeah. what he was going to ask yeah. Ted in that parking lot was say, I'm working on something new. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's about you. So I, I guess they, they left the trail of breadcrumbs. But I want to, Mike mentioned the, the machine, you know, the, the media machine, the football machine, whatever. This show, and in a sense for me, was like a machine. And, and Caroline mentioned it, you know, earlier about, you know, nothing. The show does everything deliberately. The whole thing, it was like, you know, I'm not mechanically inclined, but it was like gears, like everything fitting in perfectly, just spinning it. They placed every single little thing, filled every, like grabbed every little breadcrumb, except one, which I'm going to get to later. There was one thing that they, they left out completely that I'm, I've got questions about, but <laughs> everything else was, was perfect. When we had, we had the aforementioned Spencer Hall on the season one finale, and he talked about how hard it is to land a finale, to stick the ending perfectly. And the show has now done it twice in two seasons and essentially less than the span of a year. Pr might be the most incredible thing about the show is that it has stuck those, these two finales as well as you could possibly hope to do and not left any, they don't do it with any humongous cliffhangers. They don't do, they don't do the, the Thrones thing or anything like that. It's just like, we've got some questions. We've got some stuff that we're really curious about you know, for next season, but it, there's no, it's not like a who, you know, who shot Jr. God, that I, I didn't watch Dallas, <laughs> how, but that's how that's old like are you? <laughs> I was gonna say, did guys, mom I, I'm actually, I'm you? actually secret, I'm actually secretly sixty years old. You guys, you guys have thought I'm thirty the whole time. This but, is just, your grandfather's podcast. <laughs> but I but it's, it's nothing. Head. Yeah, it's nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like that. So let's roll into into best scene of this one. And I would just like to let you all know, don't feel pressure to like pick one. I have, I've wrote down pretty much everything. We are going to get to everything. <laughs> Caroline, what was the best scene in this finale for you? Oh gosh. I think what I really, really liked about this finale is there were a lot of bookends on things and not just like, so, you know, you had the throwback to the premiere premiere, their pilot episode with the big piece of cereal, right? You had that moment. You had obviously the, the, I think a lot of people, and thankfully, you met, Mike, you mentioned um, Nicole Auerbach earlier. She gave um, Alex and I a little bit of a heads up, like, hey, the first scene, like the start to season two is a little weird. Don't let it throw yeah. you off. And so like as a as an obsessive dog owner, I, that was a tough start for me, but I trust the I trust the showrunners enough where I was like, okay. And, and that to me was probably, I know it's so cheesy and obvious to choose the like feel good sports moment of the sports show as my favorite scene but I will tell you what you haven't lived until you are crying on a bus in outside Munich on the way to lunch for like a school program visit and you're watching it on your phone because you're so worried about spoilers and I had to watch it in three chunks it was like 30 minutes 20 minutes 10 minutes or whatever it was like so ridiculous but just the um Jamie just you saw so many of the player development or like character developments with Jamie going from this guy that literally will not pass the ball to anyone else to passing up the game tying penalty kick to like get up um like unrelegated what am I thinking of the right word <laughs> called it. back up I don't know promote it there we go unrelegated is the official term guys you just don't know <laughs> it you. is it's, it's you did thing. just get back from Europe, so we're yeah so yeah I'm an expert we trust you 100 <laughs> um to knowing that that's a moment that is such a big deal for Danny like and seeing 
little Macy Greyhound in the helmet was again the book ends the full circle like literally circle of life for Danny because he's like I killed this other one and here's the <laughs> sweet sweet puppy that will grow into our mascot and like again so cheesy but like and the way that they used the juxtaposition between our favorite super fans and May in the bar and how they're doing the same chants that are happening in the stands and how the chants tied into everything that was like going on. So whether it was like Sam about to go have the conversation with Edward about whether or not he was staying and he's leaving the locker room to we're Richmond till we die. So like just that entire way that they presented that managed to do it without feeling like tropey or cliche and like they won and it was this thing that you hoped and expected they'd get to but it didn't feel like it was a given at any moment you didn't quite know how they're going to get there and i thought it was just really really beautiful i loved it and it's pretty incredible that they like you said we didn't have this episode had as much soccer as we've really gotten they didn't make the soccer this that's what's so cool about the show is it's, it's a sports show. It's about the soccer team, but it's not about the on field It is about the on field. We care if they do well, they, they make us invest enough that we care if this team does well. And that's, what's important because when they show them on the field, we're invested enough in that we, we, we live and die with them on the field, even though we're not this, ep- the, you know, the show isn't about like each episode, there's a game and they got to win it. it. It captures that perfect part about sports. It captures the emotion more than just the on field and it it's i mean perfect like danny danny hitting that shot man papa tart like had to be super pissed watching that from like a oh London, yeah like a London so drunk tank just like when jamie passes that ball he had, to, he had to go nuts mike what was what was the best scene in this one for you oh i i like even just now i had like six written down and i've been going back and forth between all of them trying to figure out because like i i I, I, I skew very heavily towards like a lot of the team moments on here. Cause I think that's like an element of my life that I miss a lot is the moments that they have there. And I think they get a fair amount of this stuff. Right. But I, I, I think I got to go to the whole scene with Roy and Keely in the kitchen when Keely tells him the news about what's going to happen with her getting her own PR firm. And then the vanity fair uh, shoot comes in because it is, like all of the growth for Roy, like it's all the things we love. So when they're looking at the magazine and Keely is apologizing that Roy is not in there and he goes, you look fucking powerful and all of these great things. Like that is Roy who continues to be like a champion for healthy relationships and the way that we should view people and like how to, how to do this all in a way that is natural and supportive to him. But my favorite moment for him so far, and it manifests in what could be the second best scene in the reunion of the Diamond Dogs later on, is when Roy finally cracks. Because Roy is a pillar. Roy is strength. Roy is like this towering testament of what I can build my life into through sport based on where I came from. And when Keeley tells him about his news, And he breaks for just a second and says, you're not going to have any more time for me. And that was like, whoa, like this guy finally is getting to the spot where we remember going back to the season one finale. And I remember Spencer talking about with with you guys, the pitch in the locker room were home for Roy at a time where he really needed it. 
And then Keeley came in and became that home when it left. And he can feel that slipping away and it's scaring the shit out of him. And that was like the smallest concession of that because that's how Roy works. Like there aren't wild emotive swings. There are small concessions. And that was to me, like, just kind of like, it was like an earthquake on that scene. So that one stuck out. And they still make it funny when he says, you hurt my feeling. Singular. I know my one oh. feeling. You heard it. <laughs> you hurt my feeling. Like, and I realized that it hurt my feeling. And I was like, stop making me laugh. Well, I'm about to cry for <laughs> I also have to ask you guys a question because at the end of the scene in the kitchen, he says, you look like a bilf. Is that a boss I'd like to... Like, is that, is that what that's supposed that's to be? What I, I that's what I think so. Yeah. That was that's my what assumption. I got. That's yes. what I got out of it, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you hurt my feeling. <laughs> I mean, while we're on the, the Roy... The, you know, the Roy Keeley thing, probably, you know, as big a thing that happened in this episode. Um, Alex, I mean, you were you were lead on this theory. You were the lead investigator <laughs> in Scotland Yard or whatever lead it is over there. And um, so because it's it's really it's two interesting scenes. But it's the you know, it's it's when he tells her that the scene that Mike's referring to in the kitchen. And, you know, Keely has that the moment she says, you know, I love you so much. It's not as though she's anticipating that this is slipping away or anything like that. She's not, she doesn't seem to be worried. And then we have, you know, the, the parallel, the plane ticket scene, which again, doesn't seem like, you know, it doesn't seem like a breakup or anything of that sort, but it, it does seem like, you know, something weighty has happened. So let me, yeah. You didn't even know my, you didn't know my favorite scene, but I was going to say that was, I thought that was the best scene. Good. Like we have instincts now. This is great. We're doing great. <laughs> um, so I want to start by saying like when you're, and I'm, I swear I won't go on a tangent. It's relevant when you're a woman growing up and you're ambitious, you may not be told this directly, but it's very clear from observing your mother, your grandmother, women in a, who have a career in a family. It's very apparent to you that you were told you're going to have to pick. You don't get it all. So you either get to be really good at your career and kind of shitty as a mom and a wife, um, or you can be a great wife. And a mom. like, you're just, you are conditioned to believe you're going to have to pick and men do not have to go through that. And so the reason I loved the airplane ticket scene so much, we're seeing two things. We're seeing Roy, who's still like, he's got insecurities and he's trying to get over them and to him because he's never really been in a relationship like this he sees her choice as pulling away and are we going to break up? I see it as she's choosing herself and she's choosing him at the same time. And she's saying, I'm going to have all of the things I want. Maybe not the way you want them to go down. Like, of course he doesn't want her to, they don't want to be apart for six weeks. I get it. But she's saying like, I'm not going to sacrifice one for the other. I'm not going to quit the job and I'm not going to quit you. And you know, I'm not a cynic. LOL. Of course I am. Um, <laughs> I just think I like, I don't know over the years. I just think if you find a love and I don't just mean romantic love, I mean, friendships and family that's built to withstand a tricky career or long distance or something. Yes. You want to hold on to it if it works, but you also don't want to sacrifice yourself to keep it. And so to me as a feminist and as somebody who's constantly juggling like my son and my job, I just think it's so empowering without her having to go on this big rant about it by saying, I want both. I want you and I want the job and I have to give the job focus right now. But if this love is strong enough, it'll be there when I'm back. This was the first time I was really disappointed in their communication because usually I think that they 
do really well with that. And that's something that they've shown really well. Look, look, I would love to spend six weeks with Roy Kent. Anywhere, literally anywhere. <laughs> Take a spot. But also, same, if same, you yeah. told me that you had already picked six weeks and presented me with the tickets, I would feel so stressed in that moment. And I don't know if that's just a me thing or if that's like, but it, and it's, you know, it, I know people of different love languages and I am a gift giver. I like to get things. I like to make people happy. Like, but that to me, like, I wanted her to be like, I cannot do six weeks. Let's do two. You know what I mean? Like, I just wanted something in there. Like, just because God, six weeks, that's a lot just to drop on what? someone's lap. <laughs> Oh, yeah. you no, know, it's completely insane. That is the act of a desperate <laughs> that's the act of a desperate man, though. Like yes. that is a guy who does not know how to do what he's doing. And that's like yeah. the theme for Roy from here on out is post football, he is trying to figure all this shit out. And yeah. all he knows are I feel strong and safe with this thing, and I feel like I'm losing it. So he swung big. Cause yeah, two weeks, that's an appropriate vacation. Like yes. six yeah. weeks is an insane time commitment for anybody. <laughs> so I love Roy, but that was nuts. That's How do I pack escapade. for that? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a life. No, I was just gonna say, like, even if you had the time to spare, let's say you didn't have a job. My mind instantly goes to like, how am I gonna okay? I gotta pay my bills. Let me put them on auto pay. Let me make sure I clean my fridge out ahead. There's too much yeah. to just <laughs> uproot your life for six weeks. But I agree with Mike. Like he He's kind of like a child in that way. Just like he was reading the Da Vinci Code back in that episode when they were fighting. Like, hey, that's believe? a good book. It is a good book. <laughs> but I, He I talks just, about the studded belt. Like, I know. This <laughs> a studded belt. Can you believe this? Like, and the Da Vinci Code. And we, he's just discovering <laughs> things that he hasn't had. And it's like he told her, he's like, I haven't had a proper vacation since I was 12. And yeah. we know his whole life has been about football. So yeah, he is learning. And I think it's easy when you're an insecure person or you have certain insecurities, I should say, um, to feel like if somebody you love doesn't go along with something you've planned, oh, it's rejection. Even if they say they love you, even if they say, no, 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 it was a great idea. I just can't do it. When you're just getting started with that stuff, everything is either acceptance or rejection, right? So. But Kathy should be able to help him out. <laughs> I love that he has a travel agent with with the printed <laughs> like, tickets. With the printed, printed tickets. tickets. He's he's just like my dad by the way, so like ESPN <laughs> when you book travel, there's an app called Concur that you can do online. Yeah. It's like super easy to use. My dad who was here for 20 years, even when Concur was implemented, refused. He talked to the same woman in <laughs> Disney Global Travel Every time he booked his stuff and did it all by phone and absolutely refused to compromise. That makes me so happy. I need Roy Kent calling a game with Mike Golick, a game of like not football <laughs> or soccer, just like oh. a game of a game of anything. Um, I would also for a season three one off episode. It's just Roy Kent watching the Da Vinci Code movie and just being <laughs> incredulous at some changes. But nice so, Templar. <laughs> A few a few weeks ago, when Alex texted me her theory that Roy and Kent, uh, Roy and Keeley would end the season on a break and, and ruin my afternoon, um, <laughs> I imagined I imagined a scene something like with a lot of tears and someone saying, "I just can't do this right now," and it feeling like a split, like I I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next season. This this feels stronger, and it feels like Keeley's putting trust in this relationship and their bond to you know make it through the six weeks and it, it's going to be a six weeks of discovery for for both of them 
being apart, being apart. I was in a long distance relationship for a year and a half. Being apart is a, is a big, big deal. And I also can't imagine that Roy is like a very, like a half to like a text constantly guy. Maybe, maybe he is because of how attached he is to Keely. I don't know, but it's something that I feel and Caroline collect, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I still feel very strong about them. I feel like th- this is a couple that's healthy enough that can get through this. And this is, could actually this quote unquote break could actually be a good thing. I don't know. I felt really <laughs> nervous. <laughs> I just I when the, like when I rewatched the episode, I just like got really like anxious again watching that scene just because I do love them with my entire heart. And I, I just it's one of the I mean, it's brilliant by the writers. It's something that adds a little bit of tension because everything that you said is correct. Like they have a strong relationship, they've communicated well. There's no reason that they should not you know, but that's what they did in the last episode before was sow the seeds with whether it was Jamie's um, declaration of love, even though that was resolved. And we know, like, I feel confident being like, Keely's not just going to go run off and cheat with Jamie. Like, I'm 100% confident in that. Um, in the same with the way that Roy interacted with the teacher and has over the entire course of the show had a good rep- like rapport with her. Um, whether it's her telling him he can't swear at the small children that he's coaching and um, all that good stuff. But I agree. I think that they have that relationship. It's just part of me. is just like, but I need them just to, I need this to work. <laughs> but it can it to work. I just, I just don't feel like it's the end. I think, and I realize I'm just kind of being unusually optimistic here, but I think <laughs> when you find something and it works, regardless of what you call it and regardless of what you label it, if it works and it's, I don't want to say meant to be, cause I don't believe everything is left up to, to fate in the universe. You have choices to make and choices are a big theme of this episode. I just think if it works, it can withstand six weeks of him being gone. This is when we turn it into a Loki episode. Roy needs, <laughs> I think Roy needs six weeks to be gone. He said, he said it to Keely himself. He's never gone on a holiday that doesn't involve him rehabbing his knee or something like that. And he's also <laughs> never really been alone, but alone in a, in a way of like, relaxation and enjoyment i'm sure he spent a bunch of nights alone in an apartment like you know with the pressure of being roy kent but like go on the beach and drink some fucking mai tais man and just like relax like be yourself like there dan brown's written a bunch of books like crack some of those like you've got all this free time like watch squid game like you, you just just learn to be you. alone exactly yeah and, yeah. and well, that and that will do so much for roy and keely after the fact, I think Mike, you got something. Well, no, I just to Alex's point, like that's the whole thing with Roy's. He doesn't know how to be alone at all. And that's why, because like I, I've had this conversation with a bunch of people who think, yes, their relationship is healthy enough to converse through this. But I think the whole idea is those little fissures that Caroline talked about, like it's a reminder, like this just may not like work for them, like what Roy needs, he's figuring out right now. What Keely needs, I think she's got a little bit firmer hand on. That's kind of like what this whole thing has been is she's a little more comfortable in this situation. And I think with a lot of the things I I think are going to come for Roy in season three, it's this has all been very instructive for him. It might not be what he needs in this spot. And the beautiful part is even if it doesn't work, it won't be like because it's either of their faults. Like yeah. there won't be a bad guy here. There won't be someone who's at fault. It will be two people who understand maybe our needs just don't align at the same time. And that's okay. 
I just want to say Bill Lawrence will be the bad guy if they don't end. Yes, up my heart will still explode. I will personally consider no him. Guy. Yeah, consider him the bad guy, folks. Let's take a quick ad break so I can figure out what my best scene is going to be. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, we're back, and I took that very, very long ad break to decide what my best scene of the episode is. And I am going to go with the the team meeting between Ted and, and AFC Richmond out on, out on the pitch when he talks about the article. It says, yes. you should have found out about you should have found out about it for me first. Ted takes this moment. This struggle for it has not been an easy day for Ted. And he's dealing with it on a lot of ends there. He's got beard ready to like rip Nate's spine out of his body. He's got paparazzi outside of his outside of his uh, apartment. He's got, you know, he's got everyone in the street asking him if he's okay, stuff like that. And it's Ted taking this moment to build more trust with his team. The team comes out stronger out of this and them having this conversation. There are certain professional coaches who have been in the news recently could probably take some lessons from Ted Lasso on how to on how to build trust with your team and how to do the right thing. Uh, it's it might not have been the most impactful moment of this season or the you know the thing that furthered the plot the most, but it was just for me it was something that it's like so instrumental in what makes the show good. It was a guy who was in a tough situation talking about something that's difficult for anyone to talk about and and taking his opportunity to I mean. And fulfill what his mission is, is is getting close to his players and and lifting these guys up and helping out. And every single one of these guys knows that Ted is someone that they can go to. And I I think I think it was really important to watch. And you also get uh, Beard saying horticulture, baby. And that's uh, <laughs> that's that's also horticulture, baby, baby. <laughs> God, I think- uh, someone on YouTube needs to make a super cut of all those. I'm sure. I'm sure someone with some video editing skills. Alex, Alex, go ahead. I was well. First of all, I think I do like one college football tweet a week where I'm like, Coach Beard voice something, baby, because I think it's great. Um, we haven't seen too many moments of Ted getting close to his team this season. I think we've talked about that a lot. Like, obviously, we know why. We know he's going through stuff, but you didn't see a lot of Ted centric scenes with them. And so this was the first one that reminded me of like Ted from season one, like the believe guy and, you know, want to get to know them, want them to love us. Cause if they love us, it's going to be great. And we can get into a whole thing about pyramid of success, but I loved that scene 
because he admits to them, like, I should have told you. And I'm, I hate it. And his team immediately responds with just being furious with wh- whoever leaked the story. What was so it? it was, um, bars of soap and socks. Yeah. And then Colin. Oh, Colin's so weird. <laughs> the one Colin was watching said, prison. Someone said, recently. follow the money. That's what follow, I was the say. Money. So, follow the money. Follow the money. <laughs> <laughs> and so I agree. I thought, even though it was a scene, of course, we see Nate being uncomfortable because he's afraid he's going to get beaten up. But it was one of the first times, like all season, that we've seen him really have a breakdown moment with the team. And I loved it. I will say to that end, you mentioned two things. One, the team responded immediately. And I don't have this off the top of my head, but anecdotally, it feels like when he's addressed the team in the past, there's been a little more of a pause between response. And so that's like incremental growth of, Trust company trust is gained and dropped and lost in buckets. Like that's I, I firmly live by that. And so that's like that idea there. The other part of what you mentioned that I think is interesting, this whole season was kind of like everyone taking a step back and doing the work on their own a bit. The one person that applies to most, and I know we keep mentioning, you know, the the person not in the room here in Spencer Hall, who loves up on him often, but this season was about Isaac's growth in a lot of way. The best teams are led inside the locker room and Isaac finally like took over the mantle in a real way this year. It was about it being Isaac's team and then Ted coming back in the right moment here. And I think like, again, in the pantheon of things in the sports world that this gets right is some of like, even the Christmas episode that was an offshoot, like those things are things that matter when you're building a team, these like moments to connect with each other off the pitch you know, all the stuff with the text message bonding when, you know, Sam was flirting unknowingly with Rebecca on banter and then all the way up to just this steady progression of Isaac becoming more and more of the figure for this locker room. Like those are all things. If you are building a healthy team that is eventually going to have the kind of on-field success we see back in this episode, they make sense. And it they bring it along at a really like gradual, understandable pace. And not to belabor the, I watched the whole thing again, but if you remember in season one, um, Colin and, and Isaac were the two that picked on Nate and were the ones that they had to be, you know, that were Jamie's, you know, cronies that would do whatever he wanted. And to see that full growth into what also could have been, I guess I'll put it umbrella under my favorite scene, but the scene in the locker room at halftime where he's like, Kathy, Caroline, are you you're doing my us? job for me. Cause I was going to lead you right into that. <laughs> yeah. And, and all on this wavelength instinct. right now. Yeah. And he, and, um, Cole, I think it's Cola bikini. I'm hopefully saying it, his name correctly, but he's fantastic in the role, both like in the actual acting and physically, he's a wonderful physical actor because of, using his size and and you kind of also just see his charm in the haircutting scene like the the beauty of that scene is just an independent like like exactly what mike said like showing the development of this team growing together and these are guys that you know didn't like each other necessarily to start whether it's just because of jamie or didn't like it when jamie came back or had their own issues and were losing and um you know isaac was even pointing fingers at teammates being like we lost because of this like Jan Moss you need to fix this like you know throwing (laughs) throwing the chair at the tv and the oops in it um so just like (laughs) seeing all that growth culminate in him kind of literally he bodied through the um the huddle and to see Ted kind of step back and have that moment of 
he's doing his job because he has the buy-in, but also the culture and the leader uh, among the players and the beautiful moment of how uncomfortable that made Nate. Um, and Nate kind of had a little bit of a mini history with the believe thing. Cause you know, if you think back to the man city game, he was really annoyed when Ted went to get it out of the bathroom. He's like, you have it in your bathroom. Like, what does this do with it? Like in, in that kind of, again, these through lines that connect everything. So that scene, it just, yeah. Isaac McAdoo was chef's kiss. This like, he was wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. He also introduced the word bruv to me, which I'll bruv. Forever, forever <laughs> In appreciate. It. In Alex, it, Alex, In we it. saw copyright infringement, bruv. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, my, my, my refrigerator has a television. <laughs> Alex season one, episode one, we saw Ted hang that belief sign 22 hours, close to 22 hours of TV. Later, we see Isaac lead that team to tap, tap the believe sign. I would say the most, I mean, in, in, you know, picking one moment in the series to say this gave me the chills the most, but arguably gave me the chills more than anything was seeing the team Isaac started. And then the whole team go in there and me to be emotionally invested in that with every fiber of my being, there wasn't an ounce of, of cheesy or the, this was this was credit earned. This was something that this show put the effort into to make this moment hit. They could have done that shit at the end of season one. Would not have felt the same as it did after after all this, even with little whiny ass fucking Nate just souring the moment. <laughs> but it, it was it was still beautiful. Yeah. So I have a lot of opinions about the belief sign. First of all, so there's I forced my trainer to put one above the door at, at our fitness studio because I forced him to watch the show. Naturally, I have to bully everyone. Into what? It. I but am shocked. Can you, you believe? Strong heart and someone so, into watching the show. But what's amazing is like my trainer is basically Ted Lasso. Like I had never used a trainer until last December. I always did cardio, right? And I swear I'm not going to get in the weeds on this. But I was like, you know, I was always intimidated by weights and everything else. And I came to him and I didn't want somebody who was a drill sergeant to me. I just wanted to get stronger. And it's been this incredible year of like discovering my own strength, realizing I'm actually kind of a badass when it comes to like leg presses and stuff. Who knew? And so it's awesome to realize how strong you are and you didn't even know it because I had decided my whole life, I'm clumsy. I'm a band member. I'm not athletic at all. And it's like, actually, I can do some of this stuff. So I had him put that belief sign up there. And at first it was kind of a joke, but some days when it's really hard, like it's the only thing that keeps me going. The react, and I don't want to jump ahead here, but the reaction I had when I saw the ripped believe sign, mm. I, I started weeping. It was the first time in the show I started crying because it just devastated me. And I read something where somebody, I never saw any of, I've never seen a Star War, but someone compared it to like- <laughs> not, not, a, not a single war. <laughs> not a so single funny. Star War. There's been someone, so many and you haven't seen a single Star War. Someone compared it to like, what was it? Like cutting off, was it Darth Vader's hand or Luke Skywalker's hand or something? There was some like pivotal moment. This is like, now my favorite moment. part of this episode. The nerds I know, are going right? to fucking <laughs> kill us for this. But someone, <laughs> I know, wait, I'm going to get so much. one of those so fucking aliens did get his hand cut off? <laughs> Jar Jar Binks, I think, did it. it they was were having like a war that. among the stars and like someone... No, it, it'd be can. such it'd be such a shame if if like Star Wars blogs <laughs> picked this up and just had a you know, million Star Wars fans listen. It would really suck. I really hope. But it's, it's really like hope a million Star Wars fans don't listen. <laughs> but it is like that moment, right? And I think of like those kind of moments in movies that people 
always go back to like, this is a terrible example of like in Titanic, when everyone's like, there was room for Jack on the raft. There are just certain <laughs> things that you've seen that just stay with you forever. Seeing that ripped sign destroyed something in me. And I did not realize how attached I was to it and what it represented and how it's kind of led us to this finale until I saw that. And it goes to, I mean, you know, when you think about the title of the episode, Inverting the Pyramid of Success. So you have the pyramid of success. Obviously we have this great scene where Nate's like looking at it and not really caring because he doesn't believe in any of the teamwork stuff. He just believes in like, go, go, go and make people suffer and you get a paycheck and you need to, you know, he's not really into fostering relationships. And we know that. And then we have Beard reading Inverting the Pyramid, which is just about like the history of, of soccer and how it evolved over the years. And so you have this contrast between this game is just about the game and actually like, you know, Nate claims you wouldn't have won a match without me as if what Ted has been building since day one doesn't matter. And that's just not true. We yeah. see that we know they work together. We saw it happen in the last game. And I just, this was rambling, but I, I think that sign represents so much about who Ted is and how, even though he's still somehow clueless about soccer, it still works. And I don't think they wouldn't want to match without that teamwork, without that idea that they're going to support each other. Nate doesn't understand that sports is so much more than tactics and athletes. And we're going to get into where we think that's going to get him, you know, in charge of his own club. But I want to talk about the, the Ted Nate confrontation, which gave me such like a guttural anger hearing him talk to Ted like that. It was, it was petty. It was very insecure. It was just a very small thing, but it was clearly out of, you know, deep seated. It, it, it wasn't just about Ted. It wasn't all that. Was, he was talking to his dad. He was talking to everyone who ever picked yeah, him. Oh, yeah. He was talking to his deep, deep insecure issues that, that, I mean, go way beyond, you know, feeling threatened when Roy Kent walked onto the assistant pitch or being worried about, you know, not getting credit or, you know, vice versa or anything like that. It was, it was one of the most deeply upsetting things I've seen on this show. That confrontation was very raw and it, it made me, I mean, Caroline, when, when Nate ripped into our precious Ted, the man who, (laughs) if, if not, I mean, if not for Ted, Nate is still, you know, still getting picked on every single day of his life. Look, and look, I, I, it's one of those, like, I want to walk a very fine line of like, not wanting to di- like, there are things that Nate definitely experienced that I think the biggest things to me that stood out that would be the micro microaggressions, if you want to, but the slights that he would, that were visible to us as the viewers. Um, there was a moment after Jamie scored that really far away goal that Nate went to like high five or hug him and he went to hug Roy first because that was Roy's idea with the signal and the double birds and like getting Jamie to be more selfish and be that asshole Jamie and so then he came back and like high five but that alone to Nate was enough to feel because there were even little things that didn't happen that I think if they had would have given Nate more of a I won't even say a leg to stand on because you're right he was petty and cruel and, and took things way beyond any of the even if it was perceived slights that he got from Ted like so when Roy showed up he went to the end he went past Nate he was number four like there was no he didn't 
adjust himself in to bump Nate down. Like Nate had this feeling, this innate feeling because of his insecurities that he was now the low man on the totem pole. When in reality, there was not a lot of instances where he was treated that way by anyone on the coaching staff, because when Rebecca praised them for the parking, the bus and that leading to the run out goal, that all that stuff, um, Roy immediately goes, Oh, that wasn't me. That was all Nate. That was Nate's idea. Um, obviously there were the people talking about the Roy Kent effect that had this big impact on Nate and thinking that he wasn't good enough. Um, and there was a moment where, you know, Oh, we need to call in the big dogs. And Nate was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And Ted laughed and he was like, Oh, I didn't realize you're, and he did apologize in the moment, but clearly that meant so much more to Nate because he said, you're not the big dog. You got to go to Roy, even though Roy was the right guy for that situation. That's the stuff that, that Nate refused to see. And there's the other things that he didn't see, like the feeling that all he has in his office are these like, you know, generic American sayings about cliches and sports. And you don't even have the picture I gave you, like you asshole, like all this stuff. And it's sitting on his dresser in his room at home next to a picture of his son. So like, and some of the stuff I think Ted never even Ted couldn't have had like headed off this explosion because the one big example was what led to Nate apologizing to the team and Ted going, do I need to know about this? And Nate goes, no, or um, Beard goes, no, it's handled because it was the way he talked to Colin. It's the way he talked to Will. And he was so worried about as someone who's like, grown up being like my family's a tough crowd y'all you gotta you gotta be ready (laughs) like you gotta dish it out you're gonna get it Nate was always ready to dish it out and he always went cruel fast and there were examples of that over time that if you went back and thought about it or watched it like immediately calling Rebecca shrew when he thought he was fired um other instances where he just goes real cruel real fast that when it's the roast um before the game that they won in Liverpool against, I think it was Everton. Um, it was funny and people thought it was this like him coming out of his shell, but all the stuff he said was like really pointed and personal. Um, and it just kind of goes to show that like, they wanted to have fun with him and cajole or take the piss as they say, like with the wonder kid Jersey and Nate, they don't do that with people if they don't like them. That's what he misses. Like, if they don't interact with you or don't joke with you, that's when you know you're in trouble. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't get picked on. And and there's obviously levels to it. When he's getting thrown in the cart over the first season, like, that's a different level of camaraderie. But I'm definitely rambling now. But there was just so much that he didn't understand or didn't see and looked through it from that lens of being so insecure. Um, And Nick Muhammad played it beautifully because I want to punch Nate in the face. Like, I, I legit, like, hate him. And so that means the actor did a great job. But... It just was, there were so many little things that he misread and rather than trying to figure that out, he completely burned that bridge. He was judgmental and not curious. Yes. hundred percent. And, and Nick Muhammad's uh, show notes about this that he tweeted out are are really exciting and and illustrative read, but, and it's so weird because my immediate reaction was that like, it was, this is an incredible performance in that mood. Like, I mean, him angrily wiping away the tears and like, Alex, it it really hit me when you talked about the sign, because like, I, I I went to college at a place that believes (laughs) in a lot of symbols. One of which is a sign. (laughs) 
And the one thing I kind of realized after the fact was the symbols never meant as much to me as the people I associated with the symbols. And so when I saw the sign, I was like, that's a hurt person. Like that's a really broken person. And Mm -hmm. all of the things that Nate got, like, this is another thing I, I was talking to Nicole and Spencer about was you see a lot of this in sports where how people come up matters a lot in what they become. And Nate had to eat a lot of shit from a lot of people. Like he did not get, cause I'm Caroline, I'm with you. Like the love language. It's like the, it's like the saying, like when a coach stops being hard on you and stops coaching you, that's when you need to worry. Cause that means they yeah. don't care anymore. Yeah. But Nate never got like that loving stuff. It was always from a very cruel place with Nate. And so the minute he gets power, you see the way he flips on all that. And you see the way it changes. And that moment where Ted and the big dog thing. That was the first spot where I knew Ted wasn't right this season. Cause Ted in season one does not miss that opportunity. Ted in season two is going through his own shit. Yeah. And all of a sudden there misses a very like clear, like, Oh, he needs this moment. He at least needs to feel like he's not being belittled in this spot. And so like all of that just swirls and like you see his relationship with his dad like nate's never gotten the love that is the foundation to being able to dish it like he only knows the love language of the locker room in his mind is getting shit in a way that is not healthy or productive and so that's why he dishes it out so clearly there so just seeing all that like juxtaposed with and it really hit home for me when sam had his moment when sam was in the locker room because sam is this portrait of what sports can do for a healthy ego when yeah. he looks up and says, I have defined myself way too, I'm paraphrasing, but I've defined myself way too long by how other people feel about me and I need to do what's best for me. He is operating in a way where like, God, in the purest form of sports, it empowers you to feel better about yourself and more comfortable yeah. about yourself in ways that few other things can because it is a crucible where conflict breeds results. That is why Isaac is so important in this and that's why Ted And what happens with Nate is so weird because they let it simmer for a long time. It is passive aggressive in a way that sports conflict is not. And so when you finally get to this point, it's like, oh man, it boils over the top because Nate has not done the work because Nate is constantly, whether it is through Twitter, whether it's through everyone on this team, has whether it's through Ted being kind to him in season one, has defined his self-worth. When he asked Keeley about how to be famous, like he is constantly defining his self-worth through how other people view him. And Sam is the perfect juxtaposition for him. And it makes this all so clear to where, yeah, I still want to punch Nate in the face, but like the more and more I sit with it, I'm like, damn, this person is like so broken by the way life has treated them. And just, he's the one that's this season, like as we watched everyone do the work, Nate didn't do the work along the way. He sat there and he ingested poison and now he is reaping the benefits of that poison. Yeah, but there's still, there's so much pity still there. Like for us, like I still pity Nate as a person. You see how broken he is in this conversation. It's gross. The things he says to Ted, like it, it sucks, but it's, there's, there's still pity in there. And we, you mentioned Sam, you mentioned the the powerful step he takes in this episode in a couple ways, but the conversation he has with his dad before that, and his dad wasn't what I loved about that conversation. His dad wasn't forcing a decision on him either way. He wasn't telling him to come home. He wasn't telling him you need to stay in the premier league and do this. It was just basically like, man, you do what you feel is right. And it was, but, and he has supported Sam. He has given him positive reinforcement throughout the season. This show, think about the parents they have shown us. 
that again, everything's intentional. They have shown us Sam's relationship with his dad. They have shown us Jamie's relationship with his dad. We have gotten insight into Ted's relationship with his dad, the parental relation. They have laid the groundwork for how important that is. And Nate, we have seen the relationship with his dad. And then we have seen that Ted has kind of in, in the first season, very much a father figure to Nate and he father figure to Nate and Jamie, actually there's that parallel, but one has Jamie is getting the things that Nate was searching for in other places in his life. Whereas Nate was just constantly, Nate got like the taste from Ted of that adoration and that, that relationship with his father that he has probably craved since, I mean, his father drove off his first girlfriend, told her, told her she could do better. Like all that stuff. And so, so this show has lined that up from the start. Like we we have the seed of why Nate is so craving. And, it, you know, maybe it's not just all just issues with his dad, but they gave us those scenes intentionally. The episode with the restaurant, yeah. the episode after when his dad is reading the paper and doesn't say shit to him about the game. Like that is very, very, very intentional the suit and, stuff too is that yes. the suit ted got you yes. like that was a through line that you know and jan moss always <laughs> exacerbates things when he's, he's like dead. oh that's infantilizing isn't it and he's like you can buy all my clothes um but it's zero you, know, you should have saved that first goal yeah zero, he's oh. like, hey um but you know and it's the the thing that always it stood out too because he made this big thing about like oh, now you want to give me credit when it's not going to work. When that's where I was like, this is literally just an an angry, hurt person lashing out because none of that is rooted in truth. Like they've given him credit for all the good ideas and all the good stuff that he's thought up and promoted we him. And made Nate's him. false nine. He only sees that as a bad thing because he right. sees the, the bad thing of, oh, if it doesn't work, you're going to blame it on me, which like, if you've seen Ted, you know he doesn't operate like that. No. He's the pillar of accepting responsibility. And he's like the thing when he when they were making their like thing, you know, Beard was like, I coached a game high because I drank some tea. <laughs> um, Nate's was I don't actually come up with these things spontaneously. I think about them a lot and then just present them at the right time. And it's that insight to the calculation side of his brain where he is all like Mike said, always doing things to make himself look better, look smarter, look funnier, all of these things that he plans out. And it's the, you know, I think all of us has done it scrolling Twitter and you have like, you know, you'll get 55 tweets that say nice things about the show you just did. And you get one person that's like, you idiot. And that's the one that bothers you. Like, that's the one you latch onto. That's the one that you like let simmer. And you're like, look what this person said. And, and that's, you see that when he sees someone say like, I still think this guy's a loser. That's when he goes in to see Will and is like, don't you ever embarrass me again? Like da 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 da. And, and so I get like, I could talk about Nate forever. Cause I, I agree. Like as much as I do want to punch him, or his like beard's like, I'll headbutt you right now. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that part. I know. That was such a big moment where it's like he tells Roy that he kissed Keely right after Roy says he wants to like rip Jamie's face off, but he forgave him. And he goes, that's okay. You didn't mean it. Like it was that you're not even a threat to me when it comes to my relationship that I know you're just sweet little Nate. And he, I don't think Roy meant it in this mean condescending way, but to Nate, it's again, it's the big dog thing, the same thing, but like you're not even mad. I kissed your girlfriend. Jamie talked to her and you want to kill him. I kissed her and you're like, that's fine. 
Like that was such a huge moment. I'm five seven, so I can say this. Nate has such a severe case of short man syndrome. It's just, I mean, it just radiates from it. Alex. <laughs> go ahead. No, I just, you know, it, we've talked a lot about how Nate in, has interpreted a lot of these microaggressions against him, and not that some of them aren't valid, but just like that moment, he perceives it as Roy not seeing him as a threat. Roy's upset about Jamie because Keely was with Jamie. Yeah, like that's an old boyfriend. In that is past. a bigger threat. Nate could be the hottest, most confident guy on earth. She still didn't date him. And I think like there are a lot of moments like that. And especially in Nate's monologue, they were like, oh, he's totally misinterpreted a lot of this. And he's not even considering like to him, Ted's panic attack was a sign that he wasn't fit to coach, which is why he leaked it. Ultimately, he's not even thinking about the implications of that and that Ted might be acting differently because he's really struggling with anxiety. I think, you know, the biggest thing for me about Nate is, and I'm not one of those people that's like. I don't minimize people's trauma or anything. I don't think we should compare trauma, but I do think there's that point where, and it takes being emotionally healthy to handle this, where you have to look at it and say, all of these things happened to me and they were unfair. It shouldn't have happened. And I didn't deserve it. And you can, you have a choice. You can either be so resentful that other people have to suffer for what happened to you for the rest of your life, including yourself. Or you say, it's my responsibility to pick up the pieces, even if it wasn't my fault. You know, and I think Nate is not there yet. I think Jamie was there. I think Jamie realized I was a dick. I think he realized this season, my dad really did a number on me, but at no point did he crumble and say, well, like, I'm going to continue being a dick because my dad did this to me. Like he did the work and doing the work has been such a big theme. I do think with Ted too, especially though, like this is kind of the burden of leadership and the way he's adopted. Like I, I heard you guys talk about on here how, Ted always did a really good job of like meeting people where they are. Like part of leadership is understanding you can't coach everybody the same. And one of the themes of this season, especially with Doc, was this idea of she wasn't going to connect with Ted until she opened up to him some. And we saw Ted with basically every other person that we've talked about here have those emotive moments where there was some sort of connection there. And again, to go back to Nick Muhammad's show notes, this is the first scene alone that Ted and Nate have had since he apologized for snapping at him in the hotel that one night. Like yeah. there hasn't That's been crazy. that connective yeah. tissue with these two when you think about the way they've set that up. So it's just like, again, in the way that this show like doesn't do anything on accident here, like you've seen Ted have those moments where even with the team right there, like opening up to them in that way, the way like all of it across here, like leadership and that connection requires giving something of yourself. And like, that's again, it's not to excuse Nate because you're right. There's things that he has done wrong in here, but it is, you know, in just looking at again, Ted had stuff of his own to deal with this season. So you're going to miss things in that process. He didn't, he couldn't even enjoy the fact that his strategy did work. Like that was so devastating to me that in all of that, he actually was successful. And the fact that at halftime, he was saying that again, it he never took responsibility. Um, my tactic is sound. These idiots just don't know how to play soccer. Like basically it was his like under, he's like, if these guys knew how to play, this wouldn't be an issue. Like my thing was brilliant. And even when it did work, he was so mad and selfish. I don't know if selfish is the right word, but you know what I mean? Like 
that he was so self-centered in that moment that he couldn't even enjoy the fact that they just got promoted in this big moment for the club because he was so overcome with that anger and sadness and hurt that it was, again, it's all brilliant. Just like seeing that pan out and how that was devastating to me that like, buddy, like you're, everyone actually wants you there. Like, none of them hate you they all like maybe beard does now but we like they beard wanted is coming to for that ass yeah what beard's face when he said he kissed when he was like just oh uh, man he did he did some excellent uh face and uh, as always face acting for a moment i think now is probably a good time just to kind of talk about nate where we where we last see him um he has been given the job by king scumbag rupert so he the, is the head coach, right? Like he gave appear, him the head yeah, coaching job. The, okay. Yeah, Pierce. Like the way he's the that look in his eye, it looks like he is the the head guy at, at West Ham. There's no chance that Rupert respects Nate as a person whatsoever. Would respect his authority on anything. See him an equal. Nate was his former kit man when Rupert owned AFC Richmond, and you know who talks in professional sports is, is players. I mean, sports in general, players talk there there will be the word out on Nate on how he how he handles things players will you know players will communicate the media will talk Nate is I can't think of anyone less able to handle British tabloids and that kind of press and that kind of heat that Ted took than Nate in this style uh you know we're I think it was Mike talking earlier about you know Nate uh no no, no Alex was talking about her trainer she didn't didn't want a drill sergeant Nate is a fucking drill sergeant. When we last see West Ham United, they look like the, you know, like Caroline said, the team from the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Nate is a Nate is a guy who I I don't see. I, I see him rolling into that and not getting any of the things he's looking for besides unlimited power. But I don't think that, you know, Alex, you correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't think that power is going to be what he thinks it's going to be. Well, it isn't for anyone, is it? Like when we are in pursuit of things that are so fleeting and so relative and like, he's always going to want more because he uses this one metric to measure his success. And again, we know he thinks being that drill sergeant and, and everything that happens on the field is everything that happens in the sport. Like he has no way out of that. So to him, it's just ascending to new heights and it's never going to be enough because once you've decided and Nate has clearly decided he suffered for as long as he did because people had power over him. So now he has power and he's going to want more of it and more of it and more of it until he has a breaking point where he learns like you're never going to be satisfied if you're depending on everyone else in the world to tell you who you are. Mike, your thoughts on Nate rolling into that program, assuming that team of professional athletes, a top, I mean, my understanding again, not, I, I've, I do not follow premier league West Ham United, like seems to be a solid group of, of chaps. They seem to be good at the old sport of football. <laughs> bunch of bruvs over there. Bunch of, bunch, of, bunch of solid bruvs just kicking that ball around. Yeah, I, I think what you mentioned there about him just rolling in and expecting to be respected here, like that is the that is the literal inverted pyramid that we see in the locker room because what's on the top of that pyramid is competitive greatness and what's on the bottom of that pyramid is loyalty, friendship, and cooperation. A drill sergeant can work. I played my, my, the best coach I have ever played for on any level of sports outside of my dad was a drill sergeant. 
And the only reason it worked is because I knew that guy was bought in and wanted the best for me. And he proved that over and over again. And so there was mutual buy-in. And once there's mutual buy-in, and you know I'm for you and you are for me, you can say it however you want. I know what's at the root of it. I can deal with that. Nate is not going to do that. Nate's going to commit the cardinal sin of every locker room. And when you think about what's going on, like to bring it to, to, to sports out in, you know, in the current world right now, when you think about some of what's going on in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer and some of what I always go back to this example of David Blatt and Cleveland with the Cavaliers, which is you can have success somewhere else. It's not here. You have got to come and show us, not tell us what you're about and earn that every day. Like it's the mantra of being like a freshman on any team or a rookie. Like I was thought seen, not heard. I want you to see how I work. I don't need to tell you how I work or anything else and all of that. Nate is going to come in and demand respect. He thinks immediately because of the position that he's been given and because he thinks he is some sort of wonderkin. That is not going to fly in that locker room. Like that is very quickly going to be undone because there's no foundation built there based on like what we've all talked about here. Like Alex and her trainer, like any of us in sports, like the foundation is shared struggle and you're not going to have that. You're just going to have someone who comes in and expect it to all be his because he's been named in that position. Because like he yelled at Ted, he thinks he has earned this just by way of starting from where he did, not based on the relationships he makes along the way. Well, and you said wanting the same thing. You know, a drill sergeant, you guys have to want the same thing. You have to want that win. Nate doesn't want that. Richmond completes this miracle season. They get back to the Premier League, but Nate didn't want that shit. He wanted it to be about him. He wanted them to win on his terms. He wanted the credit for that. That's not going to fly. That's not That's not the drill sergeant. That's that's not wanting the same thing. He doesn't want, the, want it all the same thing as any of those players like Caroline, when you see, you know, Nate rolling into that locker room, how, how fast does he lose the locker room? I don't, I mean, this is going to depend so much on who his assistants are, right? Who are the guys that are running them through those drills as he walks, as we, as like he turns and walks towards the camera, like they look like big fucking dudes. I won't lie. Yeah, they did. Yeah. (laughs) And, And that's, I mean, it all depends. And it's one of those, like, I kind of like not to go back to Mighty Ducks, but I lo- I would love <laughs> there has to be a moment in season three where where they lose to West Ham like there has to. I, I, I don't, and I, I, I kind of want when I say the Mighty Ducks thing is I want or green or, you know, big green or pick any little giants, whatever you want, pick any kids sport movie where they lose to the team dressed in all black in a moment where like that thinks that get, gets them all the power and all the, you know, we're the machine and like, we figured it out. We have the money we have like, you know, Rupert ass face, whatever, um, that it's going to come back. And in a pivotal moment, it's all going to fall apart for Nate. Nate, I think what they, and may, you know, shit, I could be completely wrong. Like who knows if they'll do the show. Cause they don't go cliche who knows, but I think that we're going to see Nate have some success and he thinks that he's doing it the right way. And really it's like fool's gold and it's all going to fall apart because he doesn't do any of the things that we talked about, about establishing culture and establishing respect and rapport. And they'll see through him immediately because he says stuff to people like what he said to Colin. I cannot get over what he said to Colin about being the art at a holiday inn that covers the blood stain on the wall. You're just there to to be there to, and, and that's the stuff that you can't you cannot win. I mean you can't win anyone over like that let alone a locker room that needs to rely on each other and all that it's just it's gonna be I don't I think it's such a bad idea like I, like how does Rupert sell that <laughs> well Caroline I think you're exactly right though is they're good enough and well-funded enough to where it's gonna go well for a while like all yeah. the things I said 
we know this. I mean, this is sports. Winning covers up all the nasty stuff yes. that goes on here. But then you get to a situation where you get a stress test and you play someone good and flush the pipes and there's going to be water spraying everywhere then. Yeah. I just think it's going to, it has to come to some point where they face each other. I think just the dramatic side of it, that he, if he gets a win and thinks, is, you know, that this is something that he's bested Ted and Ted's this backwoods American still doesn't get it. I'm the master tactician only for Ted to come through in the bigger moment, I think would be so awesome. <laughs> I'm here for it. Something Alex and I talked about, um, and I've talked about a few times is that the, I think Ted's finest moment as a coach in the, you know, the last two seasons, breaking my own rule and talking about the the seasons and everything <laughs> is the, in their entirety. But I think one of Ted's, fi- I think, I think Ted's finest moment was the, was the season one finale is it's not, it's handling the, the, the moment of a loss of a devastating loss. It is, it is fucking easy to win. It is. Anyone can, anyone can do that. Not physically, but like the emotions of handing, handling a win when things are going well for you, it is easy. What Ted does with that team that is so devastated has suffered as devastating a loss as you can imagine. Jamie Tart, m- remember when we hated that guy pretty well? I know, right? Um, I, know. <laughs> I never hated Jamie. Shay, he's so Shay. Um, but Sexy but but how baby. Ted how Ted <laughs> rallies that team makes them feel makes us feel at the end of that. That's the thing that the good coaches can do. Even the drill sergeants, they can empathize. They can care. Cause they, again, if you, if you all want it just as bad, if you want the same thing, it's going to hurt the same and acknowledging that hurt and acknowledging that your players are, your players are human, that this is a fucking game. And Nate just does not have any of that in him. He doesn't, I mean, I, I think that's his biggest fault as a person right now. And Alex, I mean, you, you know, you're the best to speak on this as far as human emotions feeling, but I think Nate's lack of empathy might be right now his his scariest trait. I really thought you were going to go from like you're the best to speak on people who are the worst. I mean, you're just you're just the best to speak on everything. I people always ask me people always ask me like what you know hey what what should I do to get into podcasting like one care about what you're going to do two get a co-host who's way fucking smarter than you. <laughs> Makes things not, way I know <laughs> I know a lot about like three things. That's Ted Lasso playing the flute. I'll come up with a Gas third thing food. later. <laughs> Gas station <laughs> food. There we go. Uh, and that's it. No. So I, you know, and I realize I tie everything back to parenting just because that's like my whole life. So, you know, you're raising a little boy and little boys are rambunctious and they're always going and doing, and you get in these patterns of stop. Don't do that. Don't run. Don't, you know, and to them, they get to the age where they're just like, stop it. Stop telling me no all the time. And so I guess it was about a year ago that I started changing my approach with him. So, and this is just an example, like if he was running down the hall, instead of saying, don't do that, stop doing that. I would say, listen, if you run down the hall, you could fall and get really hurt. And that would make me very sad. And it really like changed the tone. And like in the morning, for example, because he hates getting up, he doesn't want to go to school instead of being like, well, you have to go to school because you're a kid and that's what you have to do. Now, every morning I wake him up. He says the same thing every day. I'm too tired to do it. And I always say, me too. (laughs) Like, I know I don't want to go to work either, bud, but we're in this together and we're going to do it. And it just changes the tone of the day. And I'm certainly not a model mother or whatever, but I just think like that small thing of showing you have your rules and you have your approach to people because you're invested in them and their safety and their well-being. And I think it could just totally change the tone, whether it's a team or parenting or friends or any sort of relationship when it's like, um, 
what Miss Bowen said in the first or second episode when they, you know, they lost the finals or whatever, the little girl team. And she's like, you know, I had a coach who was an asshole too, but it didn't matter to me as long as I knew he gave a shit. And that kind of set everything up, didn't it? Yes. It really did. God, they don't. They, they don't miss. They don't miss. They're you know right. what? By the Actually, way, Alex, you, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I was just gonna say Alex's quote too about little boys reminded me about Ted's quote about little girls. Little girls yes. are serious, and silly, so and powerful. Sweet. I gave up trying to figure them out years ago. It's true though. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh so God. we talk about they they don't miss. They don't leave anything unanswered. Whatever. We do have the biggest question of season three to talk about. Why was Phoebe drawn boobs? <laughs> I'm still like they didn't. That's no, that's completely. What if what if what if they don't? What if that's the only? It's thing? gonna haunt Kyle and, forever. And, yeah, and then I'm like I'm deep on Reddit threads. Like, what did Bill Lawrence mean? I have a theory, and again, we're I gotta put on the mom hat. When when you're a single mother like Phoebe's mother is, and you have a young child. They don't just sit nicely in the living room when you have to take a shower or if you're doing something, they're just in your business all the time. And so my theory is, especially with a mother and a daughter is like, I'm sure there's just been times like her mom's got to take a shower and she's sitting in there with her. And, you know, I think like she's probably been exposed to that. My first thought was like, oh, she must've seen Keely or something, but Keely has a tattoo on her rib. So, you know, that doesn't work (laughs) out, but that's just my feeling is like, we haven't explored the relationship we had that she has with her mom. We know that she's obviously, she's an ER doctor. Like she works all the time. We know her dad's a piece of shit. Um, a live piece of shit. I know. <laughs> a living piece of shit. But there's nothing to suggest she has a bad relationship with her mom. And so I, I hope we get into that more honestly next season is like, I'm sure just like living with your mom and she's got to get stuff done and she can't wait on you to be cool with sitting in the other room while she takes a shower. I also, as a kid, I was the one that I wanted to be a doctor. And so I had like one of those dramatic, like Dorling Kindersley encyclopedia of the body. So like maybe Phoebe's just doing extra, like, you know, reading up on, on (laughs) biology and I don't know. That's something they're going to need to, they're going to need to answer for my own personal sanity with season three. Have we, have we seen the last of Edwin Akufu? I feel like uh, miming a shit over a dummy is kind of like a, See ya, see ya, sir. I, I really like that they made that choice because I, I, I like that we can feel good about Sam's choice. I love watching him buy the like Sam the 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 Sam. I love that he didn't do it for Rebecca. He did it for him. Like Mike was saying earlier, and and right away we see like man, really good, really good call. Edwin and Khufu got a got a shitting thing. Like he's <laughs> got a lot. He's got some things he needs to work got out. Got a shitting thing. <laughs> How did how did he not break down laughing when how many takes do you think that took so like many. when he's just describing like I'm gonna shit in every room of your childhood <laughs> home burn it to the ground and, and then, then shit on the shit ashes. on the ashes as so I eat good. Nigerian food like, just, well, was that a weird homage to Shooter McGavin by the way because that's almost word for word but with a different bodily function the threat he made true. to Happy Gilmore. I'm going to buy grandma's house, burn it to the ground, and then piss on the ashes. Yes. 
There's just... a very there's another good major league homage in this one too. Roy headbutting Jamie and then giving him the the hug oh, right after. That is very oh, much so Dorn punching Rick Vaughn and then and then them embracing after. The um, jumping in the circle celebrating with like Roy and Jamie was also just top notch. Oh my god. Sam Richardson though should get I mean First of all, I'm already so biased. We talked, I got to be on the Emmy episode. So everyone's heard my thoughts on how everything should win every Emmy. But I mean, I don't know how you don't like Jason Sudeikis knocked everything out of the park, but you got to give Sam Richardson some sort of guest appearance thing or something because that was fantastic. Sam Richardson is so funny and just oh, that scene. And then the, like the handshake thing from the handshake guy. Like, <laughs> it's so just, good. So, oh, it was brilliant. It was beautiful. So, so good. Is there anything we haven't we haven't talked? You know what? There is. There is. Higgins's conversation with Keely when she goes yeah. to him. Again, I feel like ever, ever we get towards the end of an episode and it's like, fuck, we forgot to talk about Higgins and all the great Higgins things he did. The smile allergy, the the rare smile <laughs> allergy. Tell me more, sir. But well, the, the Denzel Washington, like yeah. <laughs> the head nod. I, oh, I saw fuck, it in a Denzel cool. Washington movie and thought, ooh, I'm taking that. <laughs> but I, I, I want to talk about the quote, a good mentor hopes you will move on. A great mentor knows you will. The the Higgins advice, the Rebecca Keeley conversation, like oh. that really that relationship, <laughs> that felt it it felt really good. And it's something that who Alex, who came, we've had a lot of, I think it was Corey, our, our, our good friend, Corey guested for episode 10, talking about how Keely has taken this. She, you know, she, I mean, Alex, you, you go into that a little bit better, but how Keely was, um, you know, her whole life was kind of, she was famous. And then suddenly she was working for this team doing stuff for everyone else. And finally gets this chance to move on and really do her own, own thing. And really, you know, strive for her dreams and thankfully for us is met with nothing but support like that was so rewarding to see yeah well i think it's important too and i know i've said this a million times they never pitted keely and rebecca against each other like even when rebecca didn't really know her that well and she you know the whole lion and panda thing they made them friends from the start which is important because it's always the trope right if two women especially two beautiful women they've got to be fighting with each other all the time um, it's an interesting dynamic because and Caroline and I have talked about this. So Caroline and I worked together at SB nation and the way we literally got to know each other is she would write these bachelor recaps and needed an editor for it. And I, I had never seen the bachelor. I still haven't. And I was like, I'll do it, but I don't know what's going on. And so we'd go back and forth and she'd explain the bachelor and we just became wonderful friends. And for the first time in my life, when all the layoffs went down and I had to leave for the first time in my entire career. I was sad to leave a coworker behind because I had developed this relationship with her. Now I want to go on the record as saying, I did not hire Caroline to work with me. So no nepotism here, folks. But the fact that it worked out to where we're able to work together again, and it's, you know, an, an equal relationship. We don't, it's not a boss employee thing. Like we're having the time of our lives. <laughs> it's just, it's really great to have somebody who you know is in your corner. And even though, you know, work relationships can get tricky, it's the first time in my life I ever had like a Keely Rebecca thing. And so I oh think it God, affects me more. I know, right? You know, this is just, this is our time to cry. But when Rebecca says some advice on being a boss, hire your best friend. I felt that. I did too. I immediately texted her. <laughs> Don't cry. This is like, I mean, cause it is, it's, it's, and again, with that bookends thing, that's like, 
this was another moment like she said with the panda lion thing she's like you turn this panda into a lion and just that again like finding thankfully it's not this series finale but there were these nice balancing moments throughout and it was just such a beautiful sweet like and so i thought so realistic because the the crying where you're genuinely sad that you're not going to see this person or work with them anymore but also at the same time like legitimately could not be more excited for their opportunity and it was just such a realistic like uh, relatable thing that I thought again was done so so just like you're gonna make me cry again like just <laughs> and I do love every time Higgins gives advice it's generally like really it's like bad 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 amazing like he's just <laughs> working his way around then he's like oh you're scared about telling her he's like oh you came to me she's like well Ted and Roy are at practice and I'm scared it's about just, telling Rebecca. It's amazing, <laughs> like, Rebecca's support, like, how positive that conversation was for both of them and how happy. I I mean, I, I don't want to make this episode too emotional. Mike, I I remember specifically the last radio show you did with your dad that was on. Oh. I remember watching it, and you you both said incredibly just the, the kindest things to each other. And it was it was clear that that relationship – it, it was father son, but also the the working relationship that you guys were able to build, and I, I think that's it's a similar thing that we saw saw there, and I think you can kind of speak to that of, of what that means to work with someone who you also have a deep deep relationship with. There's probably a sense of never wanting that to end, but also wanting the best for for that person as well. Yeah, so it, it's interesting with the dad part of things here because I, I've now been at ESPN just long enough to have formed relationships with other people who are leaving too. And so the part with my dad that I said there that holds the most true is like, that's still my dad. Like I can still pick up the phone and that guy's there for me for the rest of my life. And you know, that's Telling always you to change your air filter. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which now I have an alarm for every six months to change my air filter. Dad, your advice has seeped in over time. I have slowly become you in all of the like smallest, most minute ways. I love you. Thank you for all that. So like that, that all like, that's all going to be there. And I I've said over and over again, like I won't have a thing in my professional life that touches being able to work with my dad. But again, like I have that selfish thing of like, he's still mine. Everyone else, there is kind of like what Alex described and what we saw in the scene. Like it feels like a little bit of a loss when people leave the nest And I was talking to my friend, Nicole, who works at ESPN about, you know, just some of the other people that have left the company since, you know, I've been here six years now. So some of the other people that have left the company that were young and were there when I got here. And it's uh, Kayla Johnson, who, you know, now is doing a great job, who's making her directorial debut. Uh, She works over it together. Um, She's doing a, a, a documentary that she directed about a, a, a young woman who started the renegade dance on TikTok and all these different things. And we were all, you know, retweeting Ta- Ka- uh, Kayla's trailer, like Kayla's like the best teammate on earth and like doing all these great things. And so, you know, you saw this outpouring of people doing all this. And I was talking to Nicole about this because she was the one that kind of told me, hey, this is coming out. We want to support this. And she just sort of like said it flippantly, but I, I kind of stopped and have been sitting with it for the rest of the day. She's like, what's the point of coming up together if we don't get to celebrate when someone makes it? Like, what's the point of going through? And like, this is the shared struggle thing. Like, this is the thing that like doing all this as someone who played sports and like struggles with, 
you know, the parts of what success and failure look like outside of the world of sports, it's so much harder to define. What's it like when you don't have as much shared struggle with people in the ways that you've been used to, but like going through what you guys just described, like going through what Alex and Caroline have and what all the rest of us do, like that's the different relationship for me and some of the people I've gotten to know through work now is starting to get to the point where, man, you get to see some people that, you know, were just like you picking up whatever shifts they could who have come through, you know, I mean, God, way way longer and more arduous paths than I can ever, you know, identify with myself personally, but watching those people then go on to get the things they've been working for. Like that's, that's the drug. That's why we all do this. Like that's the only thing that makes any of this worth it. And so, you know, with dad, like there's, there's the part of me being able to look now at the way he has reinvented himself on the other side of this, of like, gushing with pride like I, I sit here you know and and get kind of choked up again talking about that but then there's you know the people that you meet in a different way that you grow those relationships with like this through just work as the bedrock that you watch accomplish what they want and like that was that was all really present in that scene in a way that struck a chord like this is a very Harry Lyles Jr. pro podcast. I'm assuming. <laughs> oh and shit! Yeah. See, you know, seeing our guy going around Amazing. the horn today. You know, and like it, did he win? I was he at won. the eye doctor. Oh and and he, sh- and he shouted out his mom uh, on his for on his birthday. FaceTime. It was yeah, it was great. Oh my yeah. gosh! Stop. You know, and that's what I mean. Like Mike, that was such a great way of saying that. Like, what's the point if we can't like seeing your people go do? great things and being able to like turn on well i mean i walk around places and i'll walk by and i'm like oh there's mike on tv again this is awesome hey mike what's going on what are you talking about what are you doing so it's it's just like so fun to see or i see other friends that will like shout out something that alex is doing or like yeah and it's in that i think again that's why that scene was so relatable where it's like knowing that the people that you respect and love move on but that that doesn't mean that you're not ever you know, like you're never leaving their corner like you're still like they're your people like they're always going to be your they're your people i just loved it yeah i didn't want to not talk about that moment because it was yeah. in, a seri- in a in a show of very heavy moments that one was was light and just made me feel really good mm-hmm. um so as we cross into the hour 30 mark of a 45 minute tv show <laughs> caroline we've got We've got, thankfully, a whole nother season of this coming at some point where, again, you were last to the Zoom. You've got to go first. Where are we? Where are we going in season three? What is what needs to be answered besides, you know, Phoebe and the boobs? Um, what, <laughs> where are we, Maybe in the yeah, Maybe the, in the, what, a, what a band name I'm that still, is, yeah, I'm still, that's a great, great punk band, punk band <laughs> name. Um, well, you know, where Alex can play flute, jazz flute. <laughs> where are we go? Is there any stuff that needs to be rectified that we haven't, that we haven't thought about, you know, for see, obviously, you know, the Nate, the Nate thing is looming yeah. large. Um, Roy and, you know, Roy and Keeley looming large, Ted continuing to better himself and then you know is is he staying in london for long term i think that's a that's a big question when the series wraps we'll get answered um where, where else what what needs to be answered in, in season three? Oh man i think i'm curious to see how big they go with regards to just the soccer itself because like what do we consider a success for ted what do we consider you know and 
there was this like has any team been relegated and come back to win the championship type thing and so like my dorky ass self is like go in the championship like i will i will take it beat man united beat everyone that i've ever heard of from premier league like let's do it um beat all the lads all the lads (laughs) all the the chaps (laughs) all the bruvs are going down um but i think like you know the things that we talked about are the big like I'm most concerned about Roy and Keeley. Like I want to see where that <laughs> comes in. I'm very excited to see, you know, we didn't really talk about um, Sam's last scene, Sam's flash forward um, buying. And that ties into what we've talked about with his journey, but buying the space to create a Nigerian restaurant. And I thought that I'm so excited to see his journey as someone who was not team Rebecca and Sam, because of the uh, just, innate power struggle issues uh i liked it in the sense that they're two beautiful people that should just just, <laughs> just you know be what? beautiful they should just be on each other just okay. i didn't hate it <laughs> uh <laughs> but from the standpoint of like is this appropriate um i so so in, to that extent where i'm like no this really isn't appropriate i still was a little kind of like oh yeah okay you're right that's not a good idea but um i i don't know I don't know i'm so i just think there's so many things that i never would have picked the way that this season went so i i don't even begin to give myself enough credit to think about where they could send the next season i think they need to bring in a couple maybe like a new player just to spice things up they got to get um you know a couple new faces in the locker room or something like that hopefully they don't lose anybody but we know how that stuff goes mike what do you need to see in season three uh the only thing i am like relatively certain or like looking for is I think Roy leaves the club. Like I think Roy very quickly cycled through all you of just the heard like Caroline. Deep. <laughs> I know, but it's like podcasting is not that. a visual medium, I but didn't... that look in her face. I didn't even mean to we make gotta the release the video on YouTube. Yeah. Just oh. like, Sorry. But like, honestly, that that level of natural deflation was the same face motion uh, Ted made when Nate mentioned his son in that scene. Like that was some of the best facial acting in the episode, but I digress. So job well done, Caroline. Great Thank face you. acting. <laughs> Thank you. But um, I, yeah, I, I think Roy leaves the club and kind of figures out. I actually think he's got a career in something working with kids. I think we've gotten a lot of subtle hints along the way that Roy really, like his relationship with Phoebe first and foremost, but I think he really vibes well with children. And I think there's going to be something related to that because they just cycled him through like, you know, Keely helped him get into broadcasting at first. And then he went into coaching. Like it's, it's former player one Oh one of here are the things that are on the tray for you to do <laughs> go through them. And I think this whole thing has been about Roy kind of figuring out that like, you know what, maybe there is more to him than all these things. And I, I just, I kind of want to see him get that because I think he's like a really round character that deserves that kind of like fulfillment. I think he's displayed all along the way that he's kind of ready for that. Alex, Queen of the theories, first of her name. <laughs> Where are we going in season three? First of all, I just hope that Roy reps Cheez Its and Five Hour Energy. Can I just go on record as saying that? Maybe that's part of his. <laughs> I really hope he just takes like the mic journey and just reps everything. Oh you know. oh. Um, that's a compliment, by the way. I'm, I'm, you know, putting you two in comparison. I, you know, and the, any comparison to Roy Kent that you do me far exactly, too much. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, 
you know, I think some people have said like, well, Ted doesn't have, I mean, he's got sassy, but clearly they're not investing anything in that relationship. Maybe they will next season. I don't know. Ted's got to go home. He's not, and I think they've painted this as like, he's not going to make London his home. He's still in the corporate apartment. He's not dating anybody. They've made multiple references this season to how like Christmas, you know, here's a guilt gift. He got the drone for his son. He's a family man. He loves his son. He cannot be a continent away from his son. The only reason he went away to begin with is because he thought it would save his marriage. He knows it won't. He knows the team is there and he loves it, but there's just no way a character like Ted could stay that far from his son. I just don't believe it. And so I think like at the conclusion of season three, I hope to God, like he gets a sweet college football job <laughs> in the U S and goes, goes back home. And that's how it ends, you know? And that's not so much a theory as it is just, I would like that from my heart. I mean, it's a, it's a show we were talking earlier. This is a show about fathers and sons. It's the number one <laughs> theme, number one theme in this show. Sorry. They don't use cats in the cradle, like at some point. Like, I, I just hear Jason <laughs> Kurt saying Stevens. fathers and sons. Like, I can't shut down full cast. Fathers and sons is never gonna. Fathers. Anyway. So anyway. We, we've had. I mean, it's a generational thing. We have had Ted explore this relationship with his father. What happened there? Him opening up to Doc, and then yeah, the same thing. Um, it's the thing that Nate says that that's the most biting it's the most hurtful mm. we see you know again they ted puts his phone down his son is a screensaver they show us that on purpose that's the i think that's the big ted that's the next step for ted is how do i how, how does he grapple with this ted is yeah ted is not an absent father that's not how he's gonna live his life he's made it his whole mission to you know to be this father figure to his players but i mean we we, we got to see ted be just an incredible father in season one. And I, I think that's, I think that's where we go. Um, now the, again, they don't do anything without, you know, that's not intentional when Richmond gets un, uh, unrelegated or whatever it is. Promoted. Yeah, promoted. Unrelegated. Yeah. It's catching on. <laughs> the, they change? say Richmond, a team without a mate, still without a major title or a major trophy or something. They, they're setting us up for you know the 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 bruvs to make a run, and um, <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna holster my season three theories because I I don't really have any right now. It's just it's all Hard fresh. To know yet. It's all fresh. Trent Krim's writing a book or he's working on a Netflix doc or something. But um, this season was fucking what a banger! Like it was white, awesome. Lived up to every expectation and be i think that's the most i think that's the most incredible thing about it is the highest of expectations and it it hit them in spades like it, it was far better than i thought it would be just like i was if season one was far better than i thought it could be it, yeah. it's just incredible the heights that this this show has has risen to so i'm obviously very much looking forward to season three caroline Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for Breaking having me. down the finale. Of course, you're always welcome. Tell the folks, where's the content? Uh, the content is at Bet for the Win. Um, and you can find all sorts of Twitter things, a lot of exclamations about base, well, all sports. Ted Lasso. You're terrible at this. They're yeah, <laughs> Bachelor's starting back up, Bachelorette. Uh, so at CW Darney on Twitter. Links are going to be in the show notes, folks. Just, just find it there. Mike, where can the folks catch you see what you're up to? Uh, Kenny and Golick Jr. is on ESPN Radio Monday through Friday from 3 to 7 Eastern. Uh, as you mentioned, I am fortunate to 
get to be teammates in a college football booth. It's usually on Saturdays on E2 with Anish Shroff and Taylor McGregor. And uh, coming up here soon as the college football playoff rankings get going out, you can see me and Jason Fitz and Christine Williamson on rankings reaction on all the ESPN fun digital platforms. And Alex, this wraps another season of Ted Lasso. We have been talking about this show every week for like over three months now. It, it really we we deserve a, we deserve a mai tai on the beach with Brett Goldstein. It has been I agree my utmost honor to do this with you week in and week out. You you are the engine that makes this show run. Tell the folks where is your content. You're a liar. Um, <laughs> the content is everywhere for the win. FTW.usatoday.com or you know follow me on Twitter if you want some hot takes <laughs> at Alex McDaniel. I got a lot of opinions about fried chicken. And that's pretty much what you'll get out of it. But no, Kyle, this has been a blast and you're amazing. Thank you for asking me to do this. And I look forward to a next season. It's going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to us talking about Hot Rod here in a couple of weeks, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, you're giving it, you're letting her do it. I love this. Good. Hot, hot Good. Rod and Wimbledon, apparently, is what's on tap for <laughs> the us. Twofer. So. All right. Yeah, the, we'll we'll watch them in the Criterion Collection. Folks, if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you want to support the show, it's patreon.com slash big screen sports. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.